You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, Village Church. Our focal passage is in the book of John, chapter 7. Um, I'm going to give you a minute to get there in your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screens. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 31. John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And he is here speaking openly, and they say nothing to him? How can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Church, you can be seated, and children can be dismissed to their classes crystal clear, huh? I just have to talk about it for the next hour. So, uh, My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Would you pray with me? Father, what a gift uh, to just be with your people and to, to sit under your word and to sing to you and about you and be reminded of who you are. Um, would, would you let us today be less concerned with, with what we have to do for you And would you let us be much more concerned with who you are and who we get to be because of that? Thank you for your 
your goodness and your grace and your provision and the joy of being together as your family today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is this song, it's called A New Law. It's by a guy named Derek Webb. Now, Derek Webb has had a uh, pretty public faith journey, and so I'm not speaking to that. But this song was written in 2005, or at least it became um, known to me in 2005. And, and it was when I was kind of like struggling to figure out who Jesus was. And I was part of the church, and I had been a Christian for years, but I didn't really... There were some things that I, I was being stretched in and challenged, and I, I know a lot of us probably were in that period of time. So this meant a lot to me and it was challenging to me. And so I want to read a few lines um, together today and and I'll do my best not to sing it. I'm just going to try to read words of a song, which is more difficult than you think. He says, don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. I don't want. I don't. I don't want. Uh, I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law, a new law. And he goes on. He says, "Don't teach me about moderation and liberty. I prefer a shot of grape juice. Don't teach me about loving my enemies." Don't teach me how to listen to the Spirit. Just give me a new law. A lot of stuff in that. That's pretty scathing indictment of the way that we kind of approach God. And, and um, I remember hearing that for the first time, and along with other things, like, uh, like, you know, if your sin is small, then your Savior's small. And I remember thinking, like, but I don't have, but I don't want, but, I, but I'm not sinful. Like, why would that be true? Right, And so trying to orient myself around all these things, and it's like, okay, just tell me what to do. Right? We want easy answers and to-do lists. Isn't that what we want? And we don't want to wrestle through tough truths or difficult questions. Just, just give me the answer, and on a good day, Lord, like, I'll see it through. You know, That's how we live our life, like in, in marriage or in a relationship. Like, okay, I, get, I can't read your mind. Just tell me what to do, and I will do that for you. Well, that's, that's not really it. That's not how marriage works. That's not how relationships work. Just tell me what gift that you, just tell me what it is that you want and I'll get you that and then like I'll show my love to you. Like that's, that's not the way that it works. Or, or like in the business world, like uh, don't teach me about economics. Like could you just tell me what stocks to buy so I can do that and be rich? That's just not the way that it works. Or, or for some of you, like in, in, in fantasy football, like just tell me who to draft and I'll, I'll play those players and I'll win the, the league at work. And, and that's, but that, that's not the way that it works. It's, it's just not, it's not exchanging that way. Recently I had a conversation with someone about Sabbath and, and kind of, uh, man, her and, and my proclivity just to like, okay, just give me the rules of Sabbath so that I know what to do on my day off. And it's like, well, that is the exact opposite of what the Sabbath is, is, is to bring to us. It, it, it's life, and it's rest, and it's, it's, it's ceasing from striving. And it's like, that's great. So give me uh, the work to be striving at so that I can do that well. Like, that's, that's not how it works. And, and in our walk with Jesus, it's, it's the same thing. Like, don't make me 
figure it out. Jesus, don't make me figure you out. Just tell me the rules, and I'll do those the best that I can, and maybe at the end of my life, like, you'll see me faithful. That's, that's not the thing. Like, here's the thing. That, that, that's not how Jesus defines our relationship. That, that's not what he invites us into. It's not about our doing, and that's not how he unveils himself that's not how he reveals his authority and his glory. It's, it's a whole lot more ish than we would probably like to uh, imagine. It's, it, we, we see this thing where we're like, okay, we come to a point where we get Jesus and, and maybe we're sinful and okay, like I, I, I give my life to you and we think that it looks like this and it's just a line and it's never been a line. And the people of God have never had the point of beginning their relationship with God and then it just trends up until glory and, and until you die and then you go home forever. It, it looks a whole lot more like the Israelites wandering in the desert. And they took 40 years to traverse a two-week journey. Because maybe God's more concerned about other things than just efficiency from point A to point B. Some things are black and white. And so don't mishear me and say, well, everything's ish. And like, there are things in scripture and things in our discipleship that, that are black and white, but, but following Jesus is, is much, much more heart relational than it is science and, and uh, math. That you just plug in the equation and then you live in it. That, that's not what it, it is. Jesus shows who he is, but there's often confusion around that from the people in the room. And we see that time and time again on the pages of this book. And my guess is we see it time and time again on the people in, in this room. That sometimes it's just not so easy. And Jesus shows us what he is inviting us into, but, but seldom is it just a list of rules that's not what he wants from us. And so kind of the big idea, and this is muddy, and I'm like going all over the place, so like hang on and maybe we'll get to the stuff and maybe we won't, all right? Uh, as Jesus unveils his identity, everyone seems confused about who he is and what to do about it. So we get to observe some confusion, and if we look real hard with, with humble hearts and open eyes, he may show us how we miss, and he may show us where we might be confused about who he is and what we get to do about it. And so chapter 7, verse 1, and again, I will be kind of hopping around, but, but it kind of sets up like this, right? After Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. So he's starting his ministry, he's well on his way, he's done some stuff, he's got some people following him, and the Jews are upset about that, so they're trying to kill him. Now the Jews, uh, it, it was the Feast of Booths at hand. So, so what is that? We'll talk maybe more about that next week, but it's a Jewish celebration, a feast. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was celebrated in September or October. It was a, a long period of time. And it was called the Feast of Booths because people lived, they like, I don't know if you've ever seen like tent city type stuff, but they lived in these leafy shelters to remember God's faithfulness during the wilderness wanderings. And so they were like celebrating what God had done uh, throughout the Exodus and all those things. And, and it was also a time to be thankful for the harvest as they were reaping the harvest. And so the point is, every Jew is in Judea at this time, all, all of them. It's a, a big celebration. 
food everywhere, probably street vendors and, and, and the whole bit, right? Like think op- Operation Pumpkin in downtown Hamilton, that's kind of the scene probably. So, so we get to see some confusion show up through a couple people. The first one is this, right? His family doesn't know him. There are some who, who, who say that Mary didn't have children, like she was in some ways deified, but, but we don't really see that in the scriptures, and we see that Jesus has brothers, and so he's hanging out with them, and, and so as we're kind of, <clears throat> as we're reading along, uh, the, the feast of booze was at hand, um, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. So his brothers are suddenly, they seem to be playing like a marketing director, maybe campaign manager, and, and, and they're saying, okay, here's what you're going to need to do to get more likes and clicks and subscribers. That's what they're telling Jesus. And he's listening. They say, if you want to go public, you're going to have to, to get your face out there. And every Jew on the planet is going to be there, so you need to, you, you need to, like, be there. If you want to make a run at this king thing or whatever it is that you're trying to do, you need to take your shot and capitalize on the momentum. Like, any press is good press, right? That's basically what they tell them. And, and it's hard to tell, like, what's wrong with that. But then John helps us because he says, for even his brothers didn't believe. And so we're like, okay. So they're not being like, come on, Jesus. Like, you can do it. Like, you just, there, there's some, either some sarcasm or there, there's something that, like, isn't expressly clear. But what we see is his brothers tell him to leave, to go on up. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Like, what a portal into the behind the scenes of a life near Christ. Familiarity is an under-the-radar danger that can blind from knowing Jesus for who he really is. So you imagine somebody might say to his brothers, like, do you know Jesus? And, he, and they would be like, know him? Dude, I shared a room with that guy, like, all the way through middle school and high school. Like, yeah, I know him. Like, do you believe in him? Well, do I believe in him? Yeah, he's right there. Oh, oh, do I... Do I believe in his business plan? Do I believe uh, in the old, like, savior of the world thing that he's trying to, do I believe that he will be able to see that through? Like, do I think that that's going to take off? He has what it takes to make that kind of splash. It's basically what they're saying. They've known Jesus their whole life. They've known him. They've interacted with him. But, but they don't see him for who he is. They're his family. They've been around him probably more than anyone else, and they don't know who he is. So in, in their instance, it was because he had not yet revealed himself in full, and so he's beginning to do that. Remember, Jesus, when he was like in middle school, didn't go around claiming to be the Savior of the world. He started his ministry that, that we see in, in John when he's an adult a little later on in life. Now, that doesn't mean that, that his life wasn't unique because it was. If somebody lives a, a sinless life, like people are going to know. And never mind the fact that, remember, he was born of a virgin, and so that was like a thing. But maybe people forgot about that, and they're just trying to figure out who he is. In our instance, familiarity is, is a danger as well. For us, it could be that we're so familiar with Jesus that, that he becomes like our, our friend more than anything else. Some of you may remember like a, 
marketing movement where you could get a shirt like in any uh, store in town, like at, at Journeys at the mall, like Jesus is my homeboy, right? And there's a picture of Jesus, picture of Jesus, and it said Jesus is my homeboy, and like you could wear that, and that was fine. And I remember like some stuffy pastors being like, he's not your homeboy, like he's... But like, so you can say, like, Jesus is my homeboy. And if you live your life, like, man, he's, we're just bros. And like, like, he's just cool like that. There's, there's something great about that, but there's also a danger in that. Maybe he's just our equal rather than God. Maybe he's not creator of all, redeemer, sustainer. Maybe he doesn't hold all things together. Maybe he's not the one who, who flung galaxies and who binds DNA. Maybe he's, he's not the one who, who lives perfect love and... and like, it's easy to forget because we're just, we're just cool like that. The, the danger in familiarity to Jesus is that divine things can become mundane, assumed, just overlooked things. And a relationship of, of blessing with him can be taken for granted. We forget our role and we just become numb to who he is. That's dangerous. There's the uh, psychological word desensitized, and, and it's... Uh, technically, it's, it's dismissing emotional responsiveness by extended exposure. Now, what does that mean? It's, it's that we no longer see things for what they are because we're just numb to them. We're numb to the relationship. So like a, a police officer or a detective or a judge, it, it's so easy for them to, to just see perpetual brokenness and for their hearts to callous. And maybe you are one of them. And it doesn't have to be the case. But it certainly can be so that you start looking at people as if they are the crimes that they've committed. And you become cynical and, and, and a bit jaded. Or, or, or maybe you've seen like kickboxers who their whole life is, is built around kicking people in the face or, or wherever. Or in the knee or shins or whatever. And so they take bars and they roll them on their shins. Why do they do that? So it, it hurts. It hurts in the moment. But later on it won't hurt because their shins will just be numb to the pain. They're, they're killing the, the sensory receptors so that they can no longer feel that pain. Or, or maybe it's like the reason why everyone in this room would yell at your family member, but you're probably not going to yell at me. Probably not going to yell at your coworker, and you probably love your family more than them. Why is that? Like I don't know the answer. I'm asking. <laughs> like why would you do that? Well, because you're just numb to the relationship, and it's the person that loves you more, that you love more than anyone else, and yet you're willing to show them your absolute worst, and you're going to be kind to me. Maybe you don't know me, or, or your coworker, or your classmate. Like we just get so familiar that we put our guard down and we let our true selves out. Well, well, disciples of Jesus, they can become numb to who he is, to his greatness, and, and maybe it drifts toward some just dutiful obligation that, yeah, I know what he requires of me, and I know what it looks like to live a Christian life in the public view, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll do those things, Right? And so we begin to live our life in the way of Jesus, devoid from our heart. That is not what God invites us into. So, so however that lands with you, it's worth reflecting. 
how what we see in, in the family of Jesus might still be present in the family of Jesus today, even in our own hearts. So Jesus responds, and he says, well, my time has not yet come, and we've already heard him say this once. He says, my time has not yet come. The world won't hate you. It hates me because I'm confronting, I'm confronting it, and I'm calling evil, evil. It's not going to lock this one out, right? His brothers leave, and, and then he goes on up. And so it's, it's very similar to when he did his first miracle that we saw in John, and, and his mom's like, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he's like, woman, what, what have I to do with that? She's like, you know, like, do something. And he's like, woman, my time's not yet come. And he says the same thing. Like, my time's not yet come. It's easy for you. You get to go out there and just be whoever you want to be. But, but when I show up, there's something on the line, and it's going to cost me. What we see in that is it's, he's revealing kind of the tension within him and around him and how important timing is and, and how important timing was to, to his plan of redemption. And, and if he shows up too early, he's killed before he reveals himself in full. And if he shows up too late, what, I don't know, maybe he dies of natural causes, which isn't good for anyone, right? Now, he wouldn't do that. That was kind of a joke. But, um, but, but the, the, the important thing is, like, he's carrying out the plan that was put in place before the foundations of the world. And it looked like he was just showing up at a party. But he's very mindful of everything that's happening and every engagement and everything that will be chronicled about his life and very mindful what we'll be talking about 2,000 years later on a room just like this. He's carrying out a plan that was put in place before the foundations of the world. And those closest to him they're missing it. I don't want us to miss because we're so familiar. The second thing we see is, is the crowd was divided about him. And we'll continue to see this as the chapter unfolds. We'll look at it next week. But let's read this starting in verse 11. And I'm going to hop around a bit. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and they were saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people while astray, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now let's skip down to verse 25. Remember, we're just looking at how the crowd was divided about him. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man whom they seek to kill? And, and here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that where this man comes from? And, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus, he speaks to them. He says, you know me and you know where I come from, but, but I have not come of my own accord. And, and we'll get into a bit of that in, in a few. And so, so the crowd was divided. They say lots of things about him. And, and last week, you may have heard this. I, I don't know. There was a, a comedian who, who made a joke about a woman on like a big stage in like a, a Hollywood context, right? And, and the man who was sitting there didn't like what the comedian said about his wife, and so he gets up, and he just smacks him dead in the face, and then he sits down, and everyone's like, like, well, what do we do now? And I don't know what the people who were like running the show were thinking, but I know what everyone in the world was thinking, I have to say something about this. 
That's what they were thinking. So by 11 p.m., like the, it doesn't even matter. Everything you see is just everything. And like, it's funny, like I follow lots of people in every type. Like you're, you're in the sports world or you're a, a Christian comedian or you're a like, what, what finance director. You're, you're a guy who makes his living on leadership principles. Everything. By 9 a.m. the next day, everyone had said something to the point where I'm like, look, I'm not doing this. You are, you are a clickbait attractor. I'm, like, I will not read what you're saying. Man, there was confusion that followed and everybody had something to say. And it was really interesting to hear how like, well, he did this and he had the right, but she didn't, but, like, so I'm going to give you some commentary. I'm not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So it turns out that, that people been about that buzz for a long time. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It, it, it seems like it's, it's very similar. If something's going down, people are going to talk about it. And this scene, it, it reminds me or it sets up like the opening scene in a movie where like the camera pans in and you just hear like people talking at like a dinner party and maybe like the camera kind of sets us into a conversation here and then it moves on and there's a whisper there and, and maybe even a closed door conversation in the back and a raised eyebrow, uh, maybe some heated exchange and, 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 and then maybe some evil plans taking shape over at that table over there, but, but the crowd is in absolute buzz, and they're confused about what is going on, about who he is, and what to do about it. And what we see is that affirms both what the brothers were saying to Jesus, hey, like, if you want to, like, make a splash, that's where you need to be. That's true. But it also affirms what Jesus was saying, like, yeah, I'm not trying to make a splash. That's his pushback. Some of the buzz that we hear in this, he's a good man. Like that one conversation, I think he's a good, he's a good man. And another, he's a liar. He's leading people astray, don't you know? Right? Uh, he has a demon. Somebody tells him that, right, in just a few minutes. Like, he has a demon. Uh, he's speaking publicly, but none of the authorities are saying anything. Do you think that they know something that we don't? Like, that's conspiracy theory. That's exactly, like if, wait a minute, they want to kill him, and then there he is on the stage, but they're not killing him, so they must know something. Like, this is a, a government cover-up. <laughs> That's exactly what they're saying. The crowd is in absolute buzz, and they're confused about who he is and what to do about it. And we see that, that they, they go on, shh, be quiet, you can't say anything because... You know that they, they'll get us, right? But, but we know where he comes from, and, and we don't know where the Christ will come from, and some believed. And this whole list, the whole chapter, there's all kinds of buzz, and some believed. Some believed in whatever he was saying and whoever he was. So it seems a wide perspective on this Jesus, on his work, on his way, and what to do about it. And, and that seems to have the same feels and vibe as the world that we interact with today. Like these things, he was, he was a good man. And some just stop there, yeah, Jesus, he's a good man. And others might say, yeah, he's my homeboy, we're tight. Like this. And some might say, Jesus is fine, it's the church that I hate. You probably never heard that. Some say, Jesus is a cruel master. Some say, I'd follow him, 
but I don't want to give up my life for like that stuffy religious life. Like when I was 13 years old. It was literally like what was going on in my head. Dude, I love Eddie Vedder. I love Pearl Jam. And I can't give that up to follow Jesus. Like that was my hurdle to faith. I have to burn my CDs to follow Jesus. Look, you don't, right? And there's a lot of sarcasm in there. And if you didn't live in the 90s, like maybe you don't know. But just saying, like we can chat about that, right? But, but certainly people say the same thing. Or maybe they say, how could a loving God allow X, Y, and C? Or if he is the one, then, then why doesn't he? And, and Jesus didn't talk about that, so God must not care about that. And Jesus is the foundation of my life. And if I lose everything and have him alone, my life is gain. You know people who say all those things. And maybe you are one, and that's okay. If your life... Uh, well, if your life or, or, or this room, right, is, is, is being written about, what would the buzz be? What would they be saying? Is it consistent with what he reveals about himself and the fullness of, of this book? Are we rightly wrestling with it? Or is it a bit of a la carte version of a, of a worldview and maybe like a, a pinch of Christianity enough to claim the term when it's convenient? Maybe a, a pinch of humanism and a pinch of the hashtag of the day? Or is it enough to have a clear conscience as I pursue my own world and all the things that it might offer me? And, and, and not just us, but, but what do the people around you say about him? And, and here's the kicker. How do you respond to them? Do you ignore them? Do you engage and just blast people? Do you become unhinged and enraged? And do you just shut it down? Or do you use the, the word as a sword to just slice with no intention to heal? Do you hear something that you don't like? And, and do you stand up and do you just slap the person in the face and, and let everyone see that and then just have a seat? Play it off like it's all good? Man, recently on the socials, right? <laughs> There's just so much. I mean, people that I know and love, people that many of you know and love, people that uh, used to be a part of this church family, maybe some that are a part of this, maybe, maybe it's you, like just saying stuff that, 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 that even in the name of truth, they're absolutely unwilling to listen to the room. And like, I, that, that's not what we see here, right? Others have swerved from truthful Christianity and embraced the world's version of, of love, far from credible according to the scriptures and, and inconsistent with the work and the redemption of Jesus. But what I think when we look around us and we see what our neighbors are saying and, and what's going on inside of us, the issue is as much about the what, like the content, as the how, how we engage. And we get to watch Jesus here, and he shows us a couple things. One, that he cares about what people say. So if you find yourself living life and you say, I just, you know, you know me, I don't care what people say. Well, like, if you're trying to follow Jesus, you should care about what people say. That doesn't mean that you put your identity in what they're saying. It doesn't mean that you live your life just to please them. That's dangerous. But you get to care about what they're saying. 
So Jesus cares what people are saying. He, he shows up. He listens as he's like, what, lurking in the shadows, hiding behind pillars. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to make this something that it's not, but it's, it's not so different than just listening to what people are saying. They don't know that you're watching, that you're listening. I'm not saying be creepy. I don't think Jesus is being creepy. I think he just wants to know what's going on and what's happening in the people's heart and, and how that's showing up and, and what it is that he's about to step into. He cares and he listens and he engages with their truth in an attempt to compel them to embrace the truth which saves and restores and sets them free. Guys, we get to listen to the world. We, we get to listen to what's, what people think of, of Jesus. We have to. It's, it's in, in seeking to understand and reason with others that we are able to bring the gospel, the hope of the gospel to bear in particular ways, not just in general ways. Like every conversation you have with somebody about Jesus shouldn't end in just a generic, we say we talk about Jesus every week. It isn't that we just read all the rules and at the end say, if you want to give your life to Jesus, step forward and, and today's the day. Because it shows up in way more particular ways than that. It's so much more powerful than some just blanket truth. The hope of the gospel isn't a, a one-size-fits-all truth bomb. We just get to detonate, and we, and we feel good about ourselves. It's so much more personal and particular and nearer and warmer. It's why we don't see Jesus to show up and say the same thing over and over. It's why Paul in Acts 17, he goes and he's hanging out to the, the, the Greeks. He's in Athens. And he's there by himself. He's waiting for his, his team, his missionary team to come. And you know what he does? He just goes and starts spouting off and, and rents billboards and just tells. No, he doesn't. He listens. He listens to what the people are worshiping, what they're saying. And he walks around and he says, gosh, you guys are very religious people. You worship anything and everything. Even, you even have something over here that says, to the unknown God. Man, that's, that's great that you guys have a thirst for something bigger than yourself. You know that unknown God? Can I give him a name? And can I show you how he's the greatest that there ever was? How he's the only God? That's different than just hit and play and spouting your truth bomb. Jesus cares and he listens and he engages with lots of people but he doesn't engage in the same way with the broken woman at the well as he does the prideful, young, wealthy ruler. He cares and he listens and he engages and he comes to a right judgment based on what he's interacting with. The last thing that we see in, in this we see the religious oppose him. <clears throat> this is the story of Christ's ministry, that those who looked the part and, and those who had it figured out and, and thought themselves in the good grace of God by their own righteous deeds, by their own good work, didn't really have any room for Jesus in their theological grid. There wasn't a category for them to need a savior. 
They didn't need a savior because they didn't have any sin because they kept all the rules. Now that wasn't true, but that's what they thought and, and not only the rules that came from God, but even a few they made up along the way. Those who lived by the law didn't leave room for a sinless Savior who came to die for their sin because they were saved by their righteousness and their own ability to keep the law. So they opposed him. So Jesus here, in, in, now we're in uh, verse 14. In the middle of the feast, Jesus went up in the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? One of the more ironic lines about Jesus in, in all of Scripture. How does he know so much truth when he's never went to school? Like, he didn't go to the right seminary, and, and he doesn't even use the right Bible translation. And and his bookshelf doesn't have the right authors on it. How would he be able to say these things with such power and conviction? It's like he knows what's true. How is that possible? He's just some guy. Mary and Joseph's son, the, the carpenter. See, they fear. They, they oppose him because they fear him. And they fear because they think they are losing something by trusting Jesus. They think they're losing something. By trusting Jesus. They are threatened because they will have to give up their own righteousness. The validation. He told his brothers, look, they're going to hate me because I'm going to expose the evil within them. Turns out, he was right. In the religious elite's eyes, the evil is like, hear this. In the, the religious elite's eyes, the evil is always out there. Always. It's never in here. So, just as a quick reflection, if in all those adventures where you're interacting with other humans, or virtual versions of them, if you're finding within yourself constantly your judgment against the other people, the other side, the other person, I, I just want to challenge you. What if the evil wasn't always over the fence, but, but what if it was inside of me as well? So, so they're confused about where the evil is. It's always out there and not in here. And that's what confusion about who Jesus is does. It, it confuses God's role and man's role. And they confuse the freedom that we have in Christ for a burden instead of liberty. And, and that same confusion makes the law something that they think offers freedom, but it actually binds with shackles. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And the danger is it's void of your heart's desire. And, and they fight for that. They fight for those shackles. They would even kill for those shackles. 
It's a little bit of a spoiler. Has, has not Moses given you the law? This is verse 19. Yet none of you keeps the law. Like, that's a, that's a zinger, guys. Like, has, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And they say, you have a demon. It's an obvious response to that. <laughs> if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision... So that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What he's saying is, like, look, you have two laws, and it turns out that they, can, they, they conflict with one another. Like, you can't work on the Sabbath, but you're doing circumcision on the Sabbath because it's on the eighth day. Like, how do you win? You can't win. You can't even win at your own game where you make up the rules. You're a walking contradiction. There's no truth in you. That's what he tells them. That song, right? Derek Webb goes on and he says this. He says, I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring it down from the mountain to me. It's Moses. I want a new law. What's, what's the sense in trading a law you can never keep for one you can that cannot get you anything? And then he says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not. That's how the song ends, and I remember thinking, like, what does that mean? But I, I think I know. See, when I was in my mid-20s, and I was, like, trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus, and I remember, like, this theological shift that was happening inside of me. And, and I remember reading the book and saying, wow, this looks different than this. Like, how is, how is this true? I, I, was, I was transforming from a self-savior to a Jesus savior, right? It, it was all about me, and then it was, it was me at the center and my performance and my works, and, and it was self-oriented, and I had this dutiful obligation to be obedient, and it began to shift to a Jesus-centered, that, that I'm not the center of all this, that, that God's not uh, asking me to invite him into my story, but he's inviting me into his story where Jesus is at the limits in who God is, and my relationship with him is, is based on um, my work of the day, but it's sure, it's assured and it's satisfying and it's, it's joyful obedience that I get to walk in because of what Christ has done. And I remember when I was making that shift, I had a conversation with a friend, a mentor, an older man that, that up until that point of my life probably shaped me more than anyone else as far as my discipleship and, and walk with Jesus. And he said, these are my words, not his, but the, the gist was this. Even if I believed that our salvation was sure by Christ's work alone, I wouldn't tell anyone. Because they would take that to be a license to sin. So, so he said, I'll keep preaching. He, he didn't say this, but it's what he said. I will keep preaching the law and I will hide the full work of Jesus because that's the way to the full life, and that's the way to eternal life. This is not some internet interaction. It's a real human with someone that I deeply love and care about. And he said to me, even if I believed that our salvation was sure because of what Jesus did, I wouldn't tell anybody that. 
And I want you to know that if you're part of this family, you're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But if you're not part of this church family, that's not the craziest thing you've ever heard. And I'm not saying that we're the only ones that get it right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we point to Jesus as, as our only hope. But, but many who are part of the church broadly point to their work as their only hope. And it leads to a life where you, you don't just live for the glory of Jesus. You just try to, to let it look like you sin less. As Jesus unveils his identity, everyone seems confused about who he is and what to do about it. And I think he, he tells us, just give me a couple more minutes. In verse 16, he begins to have this interaction, and he answered them, and, and he tells us who he is, and he shows us what to do about it. He says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, then, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. He's like, You're, you know this is true. If you're trying to walk with the Lord, you know that what I'm saying is true. It's not about my authority. It's about the one who sent me in his authority, the one who speaks on his own authority. So then he, he zooms out and he invites us into the conversation. It's not just about him, although it certainly is, but it's also about all who follow him. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Authority and glory are the keys to understanding who he is and what to do about it. Authority and glory. When we get who Jesus is, it shapes what we do. His identity is validated by who has sent him. Who is Jesus? He comes from the Lord, he comes from God on high. He comes from the Father. He comes from him because he's one with him. We've already seen that. I, I'm here because I'm sent from the Father. His identity is validated by who has sent him, and so are we. So is ours. Our identity is validated not by anything we do, but the one who sent us. Not by our works, but by his works. And his activity is directed by who sent him. And so is ours. And what he says, it's not for my glory, but for his. Right? And I could say, here are the 10 things you have to do to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But I think if we boil that down, and we say this, like, if, like, like here's the map, and it's all a bit confusing, and where do all the, like, start here? Even right now, Submit to the Lord. Man, there are tough things, and, but what if I, if you could just find the place where you say, God, I, I don't know it all, but today, you are my authority. That's, that's where you have to start. Let's figure this out together. That, look, we're all doing that. I'm doing that right here, right now. What does it look like to live with God as my highest authority? And the second thing 
the one who sent us. Remember Jesus says, I send you out. I give you all authority to go and, and make my name uh, great and, and known and teach people all the things and baptize them. Then here he says, the one who sent us is the one whom we get to live for their glory. <laughs> I get to live as if he is my highest authority. And in everything that I do, I get to seek his glory and not my own. What does that mean? Because I get to shine light on his contribution, on his work. He's the one that saved me and I'm a wretch. Right? That's liberty. That's not something that I have to hide from others. But today, I'm less of a wretch than maybe I was yesterday. And today, maybe I'm looking a bit more like him, and tomorrow I might trip and stumble, and it's not going to look like this, and it might look like this. But by his grace, I'm his because he has me. Or as the Westminster Catechism sums up the Christian life, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Look, and if you're living this life as if it has to do with you and what you do, you'll never be able to do that. You will never be able to glorify him, and you sure as heck won't enjoy it. But if you find yourself submitting to what he has done and what he has invited us into and what he has granted us, then our obedience to his authority becomes our greatest delight. Ben can come up. Would you pray with me? Oh, we get to respond, right? We get to sit right where you are, stand up, sing. Prayer bench over there. People would love to pray with you by that tree back there. If you're in Christ, man, we get to take communion to remember and declare Christ's body that was broken, his blood that was spilled for us. All right, if you're not in Christ, that's not for you, right? But, but as you are, we get to reflect and consider his, his word and we get to repent of the parts where, where he wants to make us look more like him and we get to respond by living a life that's devoted to everything that he has invited us into. Would you pray with me? Father, you're a gift. Your word is a gift. Even when it's confusing and, and it just doesn't tell us what to do, you invite us to behold you in spirit and truth and to live in light of everything that you are. Would you even right now humble us to submit to you as our, our good and, and great authority and would you let us live our life to reflect your glory? We need you today more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.